Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, everyone. Today is Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018. We're moving right along this year. can't believe how quickly it's going. We've got a really good show for you today. We're going to be talking about EMF exposure. A lot of people have heard the word. They're not real educated on the ramifications of EMF exposure. So we have an expert with us today. Daniel DeBon, he'll be talking to us about the related health issues and we'll have special focus on the effects of the exposure with our mobile devices, our laptops, our tablets, our cell phones, you name it. He's the co-author of the book Radiation National, The Fallout of Modern Technology. So we'll get into a little bit about his book as well. Let me bring him on to our show now. Welcome, Daniel. Denise, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share what we know about the subject you have today to your listeners. That's just great. You know, I I know you've got over 30 years of engineering experience in the telecommunication industry. So we couldn't have a better representative here to talk to us about this. But before we get into it, I always like to ask my guest... How did you get on the path that you're on today? In other words, where does it all begin? Where did your interest start? Well, um, I love to tell the story how I've gotten involved in this. I used to run the technical laboratories for the Bell System and Bell Labs. Um, When um, technology was introduced into the networks, um, my, my organization would actually evaluate those technologies and write the standards for those technologies. So I had had a very rich background in the technology space, in telecom specifically. And then um, about five or six years ago, my sons, who were at the time in their mid-30s, were, 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 they, were, they were visiting us, my, my wife and myself, and um, they had their laptops on their laps for hours at a time. So my wife says intuitively that can't be good for your uh, groin area i want grandchildren that can't be good and so i thought about it for a tiny bit and i realized yeah that's right there may be some potential of some harm but i need to sort of look at the the research that's going on at the time and and, and see if there is a real uh, potential danger so I went out and I, I took a look at some of the research, and I was actually surprised. There was a preponderance of evidence that suggested that long-term exposures can do serious damage to the cells and uh, and the parts of the body that operate the systems part of the body. And so um, I ended up uh, building a product for my sons that would shield them from that what is known as an emission, and protect them. And it was self-preservation that I got involved. It was literally because I wanted to protect, I wanted grandchildren, which, by the way, uh. fast forward today, I don't have grandchildren <laughs> yet. You still don't, huh? I still yeah. don't have grandchildren. I don't either. I don't either. Well, you had really great intention. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> right. I was hopeful. <laughs> now, this this um, this device that you engineered, did yeah. you sell it? 
on the open market? Actually, great question. What happened was um, I built them for my my sons. I actually took some various technologies that I was aware of that was done uh, in the labs many, many years ago. And so I I brought these technologies. I couldn't find anything on the market, by the way, that was actually uh, had the full spectrum of of protection. So I, I went and I built them products that would do that. Their friends and and their friends started saying, hey, how can I get one of those? So reluctantly, I built some for them. And fast forward today, I have a whole set of product lines that are protection devices for okay. electromagnetic radiation. Now let's uh, talk to the audience about what EMF exposure is. And Yes. How does it exist and why <laughs> okay okay so th- think of this uh if you it, it doesn't exist in nature um cows don't emit electromagnetic radiation everything that's in our environment today it's been developed by man and it's being generated by the technologies we use w- w- what do i mean by that um when when, when you uh, use a cell phone, and you want to connect to your friend on the other end with a cell phone, you, you actually, there's a connection, a wireless connection that connects to the cell tower. That cell tower ultimately gets to where your friend is, and you can make a phone call. Well, well, well that is a omnidirectional radio frequency signal that's being transmitted, and you're making that, and it can go up to five miles, by the way. And, and it's connecting to that cell tower, and that's how you're making the calls. So, like, all the devices you have uh, that are around your body today, uh, your electronic devices or your refrigerator, your, your uh, light bulbs, all of those things generate an emission as a byproduct or for communications purposes. So these devices become in into your environment and it never existed before because it's an unnatural component of our um our environment and man made no and it's interesting cuz it's anything we can see see or feel yet it could be hitting us our bodies from all different directions and we yeah, don't well actually it's a no. Yeah, that's very right. It's an omnidirectional signal. That is, when 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 you put your uh, phone to your head, uh, and and there's a cell tower outside your your window, um, it goes in that direction. But at the same time, it's also going towards your brain. So mm-hmm. you're making that connection, but it's it's actually now connecting to, to the body, and 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 sometimes those. Um, those exposures over time can get pretty serious. In fact, a microwave oven is a uses a microwave signal. It's around like 2.3 gigahertz. It's it's just remember 2G. Um yeah. and uh, a cell phone is about 2G as well. Okay. So, what is a microwave? A microwave when you take a piece of meat and you put it in a microwave oven, what happens? The, 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 the water between the cells actually heat up, and the cells themselves begin oscillating, and voila, all of a sudden now you have a cooked piece of meat. Well, guess what? That's a thermal-emitting signal that also comes out of your cell phone. The power levels are much less, but nevertheless, they're a thermal-emitting signal. In fact, the standard is your brain shouldn't heat up more than two, two degrees. Yet that's the only part of the standard, not the biological. They never considered when they developed the standard 30-some-odd years ago that um, that, that transmission um, would be so prevalent. And, and, in fact, if you think about it, something like 35 years ago, the standard was mm-hmm. made, it was designed out of a, for a six-foot male, and and the the signal can't go through the head more than one inch and heat the head uh, by two degrees. That was the standard developed 30 years ago. So I often like to point out that 30 years ago when I had a cell phone, I had no one to call. So I never really, 
no one else had it, right? So I uh-huh. I, I, I couldn't call any of my friends because they didn't have one. So the use at that point was very, very, very occasional. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward to today, what do you have? You have your six-year-old son or daughter talking to the grandma, and they're talking for hours at a time. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the pattern of use for the technologies that are around us has fundamentally changed and over the last 10 years become an intimate part of our lives and in some cases far more intimate than you want. Well, if the standard was set 30 years ago, have they changed it? No. And by the way, I mentioned thermal. I didn't mention biological. When when you um, when we were talking earlier, we, we mentioned what the what, what are the conditions that may be affected by the signals, things like headaches, things like um, cancers, and this and the full spectrum. Mm-hmm. Those are biological impacts. They're not thermal impacts. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's like the standard was written around a thermal emission yet what we now know from lots and lots of years of experience that what's more dangerous is the biological impacts mm. let's give you give you another example let's say you have your 12 year old daughter using a cell phone and she puts it in her pocket those are always transmitting periodically to touch the cell towers Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that signal interrupts a cell, damages the cell. Let's say it may even be DNA damage. That DNA damage could be a sub, can end up in subtending generations of hers because it could have damaged the the uh, egg in the in the womb. Mm-hmm. So, so some some scientists are suggesting, researchers are saying, this is pretty serious stuff. We're now learning that there is potentially dangers when we have these devices near our bodies, and um, and and we haven't even begun to see the consequences of it long term. Mm. Uh, the standard that was set 30 years ago that was thermal. What was it? Yep. Um, that was um, in terms of what? What's the question? Um, in terms of the emission. What was the oh, emission 1.6 standard? Watt, yeah, 1.6 watts per kilogram was th- set by the FCC 35 years ago. Okay. They said that's the signal, uh, maximum power level that is, you're allowed to transmit before you become dangerous to the human. But the okay. only thing being considered when they developed that standard was the thermal impact. That is, it's only increasing the temperature by two degrees. Think, okay. of, think of it this way. When, that six-foot male mm-hmm. um, had a very mature cranium, mm-hmm. had fairly mature skin and, and dermis, uh, all the mm-hmm. aspects of the, uh, of the head. Mm-hmm. And then you bring it, and in contrast, you, you bring this to a young six-year-old that's talking to the grandma, oh, what happens geez. to that sig- signal? It mm-hmm. goes right through their head. Mm-hmm. So where before the standard was for a six-foot male, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in the minority now. Most, of them that, most people using it are, are uh, children, females, and small men. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so the maturity of the uh, the, the body uh, ability for the body resist the the, the signals is not as um, uh, as good as the six foot male, and and that's why we're starting to see actually more and more um, health issues related to the the stuff we have around us. Our tablets, they talk to the Wi-Fi, our um, cell phones, our laptops. All of these devices we have really, really close to us, and mm-hmm. we're using them a lot. And I guess the the larger picture is if, in fact, there are these health issues, mm-hmm. and yeah, those so individuals let's, let's end up in the in the medical um, arena, mm-hmm. they're not equipped to diagnose it. 
other than than the biological aspect of it? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. In other words, this is what you're saying. The research community is a silo of knowledge. We know a lot on that side of the fence. But on the medical side, those who are the practitioners um, working with uh, patients, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't know what kind of biomarkers, what kind of uh, symptoms that could be directly related to exposures. Exactly. For example, if you're concussed and you have a blood-brain barrier that's um, diminished, Remember I mentioned one, six, uh, 1.6 watts per kilogram? Yes. It turns out a cell is impacted by dot one watt per kilogram. In other words, when the blood-brain barrier is diminished, you're more susceptible to the signal as a person. Yet, uh, most practitioners don't know that. True. So it's really uh, – in fact, actually, we're involved in trying to bring together um, – uh, organizations of uh, physician groups and, and subject matter experts. You know, we have neurologists that we're working with. Where we have um, uh, uh, ophthalmologists, uh, biochemists. Um, we're, we're trying to get a better understanding of of how do you diagnose a problem that someone has. Here's a, here's some facts. Um, Greater than 20%. Remember we were talking about you can't see it, you can't touch it? Right. Guess what? 20% of us can feel it, and some pretty seriously. Um, do you remember uh, – uh, who was that, that show? Was, um, remember Cole Soul? I forget the name of it. He, he was lucky hypersensitive. He used to use mm-hmm. aluminum around his head. Well, oh, that's oh, the case. oh, sure. Sure. You, I, I don't Better remember. Better Cole it's yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. He used to use a put aluminum around his head. Well, that mm-hmm. he, that's electric hypersensitivity. That that means when he enters into a room, and if there's any transmitting source in the room, he gets really he reacts to it very, very violently. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an extreme case. Mm-hmm. Most of us are on the less extreme case, but more than twenty percent of the population is hypersensitive, electric hypersensitive. Of that, eighty percent uh, of women. We know these from statistics and study work that electromagnetic hypersensitivity is a real becoming really a more and more greater problem for the population, particularly women. And we wonder don't know why. why. Wonder, oh, we don't know why. Well, we, we really do don't know hormones. why. Maybe it yeah, has something to do with the hormones. Denise, I actually think you're right. It, it's you, you're you're more susceptible because of of the hormones. You take birth uh, uh, um, protection, birth control protection. Mm-hmm. That actually changes the the body metabolism, and maybe makes you more susceptible. Uh, and so, you may have a, a build out more of 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 of, of aluminum uh, as a result of the the pills you take. There there's lots of potential sources for. Why you? Why is your body weakening against these exposures? Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. we don't really know because a lot of the study work that's happened uh, over the last five, ten years is really just sort of identifying the problem. Uh, t- to that point, um, if you look at what happened over the last few years, there's been t- two major studies about the impact of a cell phone uh, to a brain or maybe to a heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the National Toxicity Program was 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 a $25 million program epidemiology study that was done by the U.S. government. Um, and as a result of that study, um, which was a st- statistically significant, in other words, the population was large enough to make claims fairly accurately in their opinion. And what they found was frontal lobe cancers were higher as well as heart cancers or higher for those in the study that were exposed to high elevations of radiation. Um, that was reinforced by the um, 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 was it? Ra- 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 
Illuminati uh, laboratory study out in Europe, which was a consortium of a, a dozen um, countries. And they had their own epidemiology study on the same subject matter, and their study concluded literally the same thing that the network toxicity program done in the U.S. So mm. we know from epidemiology work as well as uh, clinical and study work in the U.S. that these things really are beginning to happen in our environment, and we've got to be careful about it a little bit. I mean, we've got to be thinking about it a little bit more than we have in the past. Do you happen to know what they studied? In other words, was it cell phone exposure or yeah, computer uh, yeah, exposure exactly. or what? So w- what they did was they 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 took a, a, a think think of your put your finger first finger up in the air and look at the tip and pretend that's a transmitter. Mm-hmm. What they did was they took all these transmitters that are omnidirectional, tiny little ball where it starts at the tip of your finger and keeps on opening up wider and wider and wider. Well, they took and they put all these around the study group, and so they had a constant load at the um, levels that are human exposures from cell phones, and they did it over a period of time. So they had a controlled environment in which they could identify and isolate potential health issues related to those exposures in populations that were exposed heavily in the study and those who were not. And there was clearly a difference in the populations, statistically significant differences. And the uh, Ramanadi was virtually the same thing. They, they took a, remember I mentioned the two dot, the two G thing, the two gigahertz Mm-hmm. That was the same transmitters they used in the uh, in both uh, laboratory studies, and they were conclusive and statistically significant. So, what was really really interesting to that, and especially for those who have been in the uh, in the scientific space in this in this environment, we were surprised that there was um, a um, an increase of uh, uh, cancers within the heart. But mm. there's a, there's, it's sort of logical because the most susceptible parts of the body are are those that are the softest tissue of the body. Mm-hmm. So the brain is soft, the breast is soft, the groin is soft, the heart is soft. So it's the soft parts of the body that we're learning seem to be more susceptible uh, to long um, long term exposures. Um, and so we're we're really learning a lot. I have a a, a business, not a, it's a scientific associate. He he's out of Sweden. What he did was he actually found that it was not only disrupting the cell when exposed, but it was actually um, suppressing immune system. So it, mm-hmm. it's not just are we worried about the cell itself, but we're also worried about the. The, the impact of other body functions that are designed to protect us, like the immune system. Well, let's talk a little bit about what they're wanting to do now with this. Uh, is it 5G? Is it called a 5G oh. system? Yeah. Okay. So 5G is a next generation. Every couple of years, uh, the cell phone companies came up with ways of improving the speeds, improving the signals so we get more data. And so when we had 1G, for example, 1G was an analog signal. That was the signal that we spoke about with the standard was really built Mm -hmm. around. Then all of a sudden 2G to 4G came along, 4G being the most current. And those transmissions kept on improving you you can watch a a, a video uh, a, mm-hmm. a streaming video on your cell phone the reason you can is because the data rates have been increased to the point where they can transmit over those wireless services okay uh, and so w- w- the way they do that is they digitize the signal and um and that is becomes a pulsing signal and they and they uh, encode it in a way that can go 
the quickest from one point to the next. What's important about knowing uh, about those two to four G, it's like um, it's pulsing. What, is, what does pulsing mean? Um, if, if if I take a ten thousand pound steel uh, load on a steel rod and I push it into a piece of concrete, it mm-hmm. won't break the. Concrete. But if I lift it and I drop it, I lift it and I drop it, that ultimately will break the concrete. So that pulsing mm-hmm. signal which was different than the first standards, is now rearing its ugly head in the kinds of damages it's creating to the cell. Uh, and by the way, we know the mechanics of the breakdown of the cell these days, what study work from Dr. Paul and many others in the industry. So that's been up to 4G. Now, 5G is the Internet of things. You'll be able to go anywhere, any place, and find anything you want, and um, you'll be able to talk to your doctor with, with um, uh, your um, x-rays uh, because it can handle the bandwidth. You'll be able to do uh, watch TV, maybe a couple of channels of TV in real time. Your, your data rates go from uh, 10 meg to 100 times that. The way they, 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 they um, accomplish that is by going from the 2, two gigahertz to 30 gigahertz to... 90 gigahertz. They really make it really, really, really fast. Mm -hmm. In addition to going really, really fast when they transmit, they're also not having one pulsing message. They have two pulsing messages. That's called MIMO, multiple in, multiple out. What what does that mean? You have two jackhammers running through that 90 gigahertz. 90 gigahertz, by the way, is a third of an X-ray. So, you know, when you go get your, your teeth mm-hmm. done and, and the mm-hmm. dentist comes and he, and he throws this big lead weight on top of you, this, this blanket, and then puts this thing close to your head and runs into right. the other room? <laughs> That's because it's an X-ray. What they know That's is right. that the, uh, the electron uh, that's orbiting uh, within the atom is dislodged because the power level of the signal is strong enough to, to dislodge it. That's called ionized radiation. Um, and, and so where before the non-ionizing radiation, the stuff down below x-rays, um, around 2 gigahertz, everyone thought, no, there's no problems with that. But there was. Low-level radiations in non-ionizing is dangerous. But now we're increasing the speeds up to the ionized level, almost a third of the ionized level. So it's becoming potentially more dangerous only because the characteristics of it are more similar to what we know is dangerous in the higher levels. So G, 5G, we, we ex- suspect will have um, similar uh, kinds of um, conditions created uh, with the current and, and maybe even more. But here's other, other um, dimensions of 5G that uh, m- many may not realize. The, the, when, when you talk on a cell phone and you, and you talk to a transmitter that's a, a, a receiver at, at the cell tower, that can be up to mm-hmm. five miles. With, with 5G, it can only be 850 feet. In other words, the signal can't travel very far. Right. So where before you were um, um, pretty safe. You know, every 10 miles you'll find a transmitter uh, cell tower. Now it's going to be 850 feet away on one side of you, another 850 feet on the other side. This is what we know about cell tower exposures. If you're within 1,000 foot of a cell, a cell phone tower, you're three times more likely to have cancer mm-hmm. than the general population. So we know that when close to these cell towers, that the health risks become higher. Um, And so uh, with 5G, it's certainly the case because now all of a sudden the signals can't go very far. I have a a business associate, a a medical associate, Dr. Court. He is electromagnetic hypersensitive. And he was... He went to a place out in the mountains, and he was 
all of a sudden his head was hurting, which is a condition of a hypersensitivity. And he called me up and he said, what's going on? I said, look at your router. See what kind of router you have. It was a new service that was just installed in his new house. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's a 5G router. So I knew there was a trial of 5G in his oh area. Oh, my gosh. So, I, so he actually felt it. Um, and so I said, turn it off. So mm-hmm. that's an anecdotal study, but obviously something that really hit him hard because he's already hypersensitive. And that 5G versus traditional um, uh, environmental um, exposures um, was very much fundamentally different for him. So Yeah, because I, I, I have think, heard that they're doing trials in certain cities. Yeah. I don't yeah. recall which ones, but... Yep. Um, how do you think this thing is going to go? You're you're right. They're they're referred to as field trials, and field trials is not general availability. In other words, they're trying to figure out if the technology didn't work. How do they engineer it? How to how is it going to work? And how are we going to service our our? Uh, I mean, that uh, is a a tremendous undertaking to have to have. Yeah basically a router every 850 feet that yeah, the expense that. Well, of it the expense of it alone yeah. is astronomical so yeah but think think of this uh uh the w- w- so 5G is being touted by the industry as the best thing since sliced bread you'll be able mm-hmm. to communicate Everywhere, every place you want to go. And and by the way, for me, I have more than adequate service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can only watch one video at a time. I I, right. I, I tend right. to want to call, not necessarily play video games on my, my, my phone. So what is sort of the underlying reasons that there's so much thrust to 5G? Well, let's say you're a carrier, you're a cell phone carrier. Mm-hmm. And and um, and you maybe have a, a cable company within the the conglomerate, and and you realize that it's becoming harder and harder to compete for cable service, and your cable plan for your wireline service is getting more and more expensive. So what do you do? What you do is go to 5G, and even though they're costly transmitters, it's not half the cost of maintaining the the wireline network. And now all of a sudden you compete with cable. So you can provide all the services that cable can do plus much more because your speeds are so much more than the cable companies. And so there's a financial motivation to move to 5G, uh, by the carriers, but I'm not sure that there's a substantial savings for us. And now you have a 5G router in your house. Your 5G router today in your home actually connects to a cable. It won't have to mm. anymore. It'll connect wirelessly to a uh, cell tower that's 850 feet away from your house. Oh, my gosh. So um, yeah. it fundamentally changes uh, communications. Uh, I can't imagine how I can't imagine how they'd even get cell towers 850 feet away from structures. Uh, oh, this, for instance, this is for instance, in a resident, for instance, in a residential area, I don't see how they could even even pull it off. Well, they they're they, ugly. They are putting it right. No, they put them in right of ways. That's sort of this insidious. Uh, approach uh, of the carriers is they're actually putting this stuff in right of ways and they can put it on your telephone pole. They can put it up and, and not even have local jurisdiction approvals. They're they're literally uh, unilaterally can go in and put these kinds of technologies in right of ways at at the federal level. So, so, and I'll, I'll back up a little bit when, when this was approved by the FCC, the FCC um, head at the time said, we don't need to test this to see if it's okay for people. We have to move forward to make sure we technologies. 
So that the, the position of, of at the FCC was, we don't need to make sure you're safe. And here mm-hmm. we knew already that um, 4G and less was becoming more chronic as we had more and more devices in our lives. Hmm. So it's well. Uh, there's quite a few communities that don't have telephone poles. Everything's buried underground. It's all cables. Yes. Right. So that's why but, I'm trying to figure out how in the world they would pull that off because it's basically just housing and mailboxes. <laughs> yeah, but remember, they can uh, attend a 12 foot pole is more than adequate. They're small little devices, and, and they're pretty efficient. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, because I'm not the engineering machine yeah. behind yeah, the, the rollout of that, eighty to ninety percent is my guess. But not as expensive maintaining the plant. Do you know the most costly part of a, a, a wireline te- telephone service is the maintenance? It's mm-hmm. not the service. It's mm-hmm. really, really expensive to keep that copper working. So mm-hmm. when you eliminate that in your bottom line. Um, you have an expense up front, but then you don't have a, a long-term operating cost, which is huge. So that's the motivation to do it. And and my guess is 80% to 90% of the network will be able to build built out just through right-of-ways. And those that are underground, I'm not sure what the plan will be there, but um, those are probably desirable um, communities. So I would think mm-hmm. they'd probably try to figure that out. Lovely. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Daniel Dubon, and we're discussing EMF exposure, and we're going to now be talking about what we can do to protect ourselves. Very, very simple. To protect yourself, um, you you worry about two things, Um, duration of exposure and the distance of the exposure. So, for example, um, if you want to use your cell phone and you want to use it for five minutes, you don't need to worry about any long-term biological damage to the cells of your brain. Why? Because it's not been exposed for very long. Mm -hmm. It's when you increase the time of that exposure talking on your phone to your uh, girlfriend for Mm -hmm. two hours is going to be much more potentially dangerous than five minutes. So watching the time in which you use technology is is the first thing. Distance. Do do you know when when you have a cell phone directly on your head, that's considered the, the, the highest likelihood of potential dangers. If you have it one foot away, 80% 80% of that danger is gone. The power levels drop substantially in distance. So what you want to think about is, do I have to put it to my head? Can I use a, a speaker uh, mm-hmm. uh, option on my cell phone? It, what, does that work for me? Or, or can I use a earbuds? Mm-hmm. Does that work for me? Just doing that substantially reduces the uh, exposure risks, and there's very, very simple things to do. Here's another way of thinking about transmitters in your life. Um, if you have uh, one bee in a room, one bee won't kill you. If you have a thousand bees in a room, a thousand bees can kill. So right. think of this: one bee in a room could be one transmitter, a cell phone. If you have tablets and laptops and many, many other routers all in one room you begin increasing the um, the ambient levels of RF that's in that room. So by simply turning them off, you're increasing, you're improving the environment, your your own personal space. Like, for example, if, if, you're, if you have a router on, um, always keep that router as far away as you can. Never keep it in a bedroom. Um, in fact, never keep anything in the bedroom uh, that transmits because that's not only can be potentially dangerous to the cells, but we know it also affects systems like cre- creation of melatonin. You can't sleep right. Your, your circadian rhythm gets 
disrupted, and then there's a cascading effect from that. So always keep your sleeping environment very, very clean where possible. When you think about bees in the room, do you really need three transmitters coming out of your cell phone? What do I mean by that? Your cell phone has a cell tower connection, it has a Wi-Fi connection, and it has a Bluetooth connection. If you're not using the Bluetooth and you're not using the Wi-Fi, turn them off. So you take three transmitters and you put it down to one. Mm -hmm. That action of reducing the number of bees in the room is a very good step to minimizing dangers. So in general, you want to make sure you have the time and distance that, that you're aware of for all your devices. If you don't need it, turn it off. What I do with my router, for example, I keep it in another, a part of the house where we rarely go, and then uh, at night I just turn it off. I have a $10 mm-hmm. timer that I get from the hardware store. I plug it in and I turn it off at um, 10 o'clock because that's when I go to bed, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then I turn it on at 6, that's when I wake up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't need that transmitting um, near me, uh, particularly uh, at night. Mm-hmm. So there's simple little things you can do to avoid them. Uh, and uh, if you're using a router, uh, excuse me, a, a laptop, um, if you're hypersensitive, it, it can be a real problem. But mm-hmm. if you're not using it to connect and you're playing a game or something, where you don't need to connect to the Wi-Fi, turn the Wi-Fi off. Um, if you're hypersensitive, you, you want to push the laptop two foot away from you in the corner of your desk and get an Ethernet cable and connect that to your router and not mm-hmm. use the Wi-Fi. Simple, simple things about minimizing the bees in the room can really have a, a large difference in how you... Uh, feel uh, from these exposures. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you talk to us about some of the products that you've uh, created? Um, the first thing I really like to do is let everyone know they should read the book. Um, okay. Uh, uh, we, we, my my son and I co-authored a, a, a book, uh, and as you pointed out, Radiation Nation. It's a book that um, is for, uh, was written because it's the pull-out amount of technology. What's the side Mm -hmm. effects of having all the conveniences? We're not going to sell off, uh, throw away our phones. We're not going to get rid of these technologies. So what we, we tried to do is educate everyone that would read the book about what do we know from science? Um, you know, is there, for example, an increase of ADHD that's directly correlated in study work in, uh, from from transmitters in the room? And there is. Um, it's not um, statistically significant. That is, it's not drop dead. This is absolute. The only answer you'll get with this kind of exposure, because this populations weren't large enough to make those claims. But we know through lots of studies there are a lot of things going on. So we wanted to try to find as much that was available in the the research silos so people could understand what they needed to know about the subject. And we wrote it for people like myself who are not necessarily smart enough to figure all this stuff out. And and people who wanted to know how to protect their family. So we talk about what we know about the research side, and we talk about what it is that you may want to do to help yourself minimize exposures to protect your health. So Radiation Nation was a book that we literally wrote because we couldn't find anywhere in the public domain where people could go and find um subject matter that would help them understand the environment they live in today. That's a great public service. Yeah, that's why we wrote it. And and by the way, if if you, you know, we, we have, we have a, a a company that builds products for, uh, for uh, shielding. Um, But we don't refer to that in the book. 
Mm-hmm. Our goal was to try to let people sort of think about what they want to do in their lives uh, and sort of understand the impact to their health from an independent perspective so they can make their choices in their lives. So so that was the one, the, the book, uh, Radiation Nation. Um, and where can it be uh, purchased? Um, absolutely. Uh, actually, right now we have it on Amazon. We're selling it for not like 99 cents. We're oh not making gosh. any money. Yeah, we're not making any money on it. We we really rather have people understand the environment they live in um, uh, then make any money on it. So that uh, that so Amazon is it an is, e-book? Uh, is it an e-book? Yes, you Kindle? can actually get an e-book. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. So um, we make we make that off. We have the paperback also available as well. But you can get the okay. e-book for like ninety nine cents. Um, and, and and then um, we started this discussion uh, with with the laptop protection for for my sons. Right. Um, by, by the way, one of the triggers for me to do that was I found out 25% of the male sperm within three to four hours of exposure is immobile from RF exposure from a cell uh, from a, a laptop. Oh so there was clear evidence that there was um, d- dangers. Was that long term? Well, think about this: when, when uh, young uh, couples are going to the to the doctor saying, Doctor, Doctor, I uh, we, we we can't make kids. Mm-hmm. What they're finding is that the sperm count is um, and mobility of the sperm is really being um, um, reduced when they mm-hmm. when they ha- when they not only have a laptop in their lap but they have a cell phone in their pocket. Mm-hmm. So. Um, um, what we did was we created a, a shielding technology that actually prevented a omnidirectional s- signal from passing through and touching the body. And mm-hmm. it still allowed you to talk to the router, but it, it prevented the signal from hitting your body. Um, and, and so what we ended up doing is building a series of products that do that for a variety of different mobile devices, cell phones, tablets. Um, we have um, we have actually. I was mentioning the. the it, it's better to take a cell phone and put it in your hand, and talk a speaker than it is to keep it to your head. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing was use earbuds. Well, we actually developed earbuds where I actually took the signal, and I converted it to. Uh, an acoustical connection that that is i took a little tiny speaker and put it in the into the line uh from the the cell phone and i converted it um uh, to um sound and oh. that sound travels up into the ear so i eliminated oh. all the um emissions that were going to the head so that's wonderful uh, and, and actually that's sort of important remember i mentioned dot 1 watts uh, mm-hmm. Being dangerous to the cell, the brain mm-hmm. cell. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor Court, who I mentioned before, he's electric hypersensitive. He couldn't use a cell phone, mm. and so the only way he could actually use a cell phone is is using our earbuds that eliminate oh, the can. signal to him. So he he couldn't use a standard wire uh, connection earbuds. He had to go with the acoustical. Um, and so we, that's what we do. We, we try to bring products uh, that eliminate the omnidirectional signal towards the body and, and minimize the danger. So if you want to use a cell phone for two hours, three hours, it does not matter with uh, the technologies we ha- have and offer. And where, uh, it, where can people find your technology? Um, DefenderShield.com is um, the company website that okay. we have. DefenderShield.com. DefenderShield.com. Dot com. Right. Well, Amazon, uh, if you were to go to Amazon, then you would have to look for DefenderShield? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's how you, that's how you get it. You'd, you'd find... All the various products we, we we try to offer it as much as we can uh, to as many 
channels as we can. Which really interesting. When we started uh, producing them, we actually were selling to Europe more than the U.S. It was sort of sad because. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. <laughs> but they knew more about this stuff than we did. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. we're catching up. Well, look, they up. they they won't even allow GMOs in Europe. Oh yeah, well they won't let routers into uh, uh, in Spain. You can't have a, a mobile devices in a classroom. And here we mm-hmm. are, yeah. radiating our kids in the classroom with RF uh, mm-hmm. throughout eight hours a day, but they won't allow it. So, and by the way, with with those with those portable devices, those signals, their standards are twice as big as ours. Mm-hmm. They, they won't allow 1.6 watts. Essentially, they'll they'll roughly um, allow only half. So they try to minimize the exposures in their standards far more than the U.S. does, mm-hmm. and that's a, a fact, uh, sadly. It is sad. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I've learned a lot, and um, our listeners have as well. Um, Everyone, I encourage you to go to DefenderShield.com and then also get his book, Radiation Nation, The Fallout of Modern Technology. Thank you again, Daniel Dubon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. A pleasure chatting with you as well. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that wraps up our show for today. Very interesting subject matter. I learned a lot. Join us again next Wednesday so you can learn some more wonderful things from our amazing experts and guests. Until then, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?